Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Two Off the First. It is April 6th, 2023. Happy Masters Thursday to all who celebrate. Hope you really enjoy the week. It's, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, I, I know that there has been a lot of talk about anticipation of this tournament. I hope it lives up to the hype. It typically does. And we're off to a start. A good start. Interesting start. On Thursday morning when we're doing this, about 9.30 in the morning. You had Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player and Tom Watson hit the ceremonial tee shots. Gary Player was not escorted off the property immediately thereafter. So I guess everything got smoothed over a little bit between Mr. Player and the membership. And particularly Chairman Fred Ridley at Augusta National. He said some interesting things yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We have kind of a hodgepodge of things, if I'm being candid, related to Masters topics and Masters contestants and things like that. This isn't really the typical two off the first where we have exactly two stories to work with. So we're just going to kind of dig into a bunch of different things in 20 minutes, and hopefully that'll be a, a good table setter for the day ahead. First of all, if you are planning on watching the Masters tournament today, ESPN, 3 o'clock. That's when it's going to be on TV. All the live stuff is available as of now on Masters.com. Uh, if you're an ESPN Plus subscriber, you can watch it on ESPN Plus, but it's available for free on Masters.com. So I don't know why you would do any different. The The My Group thing is awesome. They're just streaming shot after shot after shot after shot. Uh, they are doing the AI commentary thing this year. They they hired IBM, which is one of the tournament partners, to come up with a an algorithm for commentary on the Masters tournament by uh, basically AI. You know, it, it figures out the player, where they're from, and says a fact about them, and where they're hitting from, and on what hole it's on, and where it lands, and all that stuff. It sounds awful. I, I got to admit, it is not my favorite thing the Masters has ever done. But they're trying to, to provide context to each shot, I guess. But the good news is, you can turn it off. In fact, it's not even on by default. I was watching this morning... And I was checking in with all the different shots that they had and a couple of different channels they have. The My Group thing is the one that has the AI commentary available. It was off by default, but there's a little icon in the corner of the viewer, the video player, where you can click and you can turn it on if you want, or you can just keep it off. And then the opposite actually happens on the digital channels. They have the commentary on by default, but they have that same thing. It looks like someone wearing a... Uh, a headphone like a with a microphone attached if you're a video game type person or if you're a broadcaster listening and you can click that and turn off the commentary and just plays the natural sounds which I think is kind of a cool touch I mean I have no issues with the commentary necessarily but if for whatever reason you just want to watch golf shots and hear piped in bird sounds and things like that by all means uh, I can't remember which masters it was maybe 21 when they had a an error for like an hour where you couldn't hear the commentary. I think on any of the channels, I think people kind of low-key loved it because they just wanted to watch golf shots, at least some of them. And so they have made that a permanent option. So I think that's a, that's a cool response to a, a weird thing that happened. But it, it worked out for them. And you can listen to the AI commentary. You can listen to Watson, whoever the voices of Watson, saying weird stuff. Or you can just listen to sounds and shots, which is kind of my preference. Okay. 
couple of things to get to. One, let's talk about what Chairman Fred Ridley said yesterday in his news conferences. It's not State of the Masters, but that's what it is kind of typically thought of as when the chairman gets behind the, the days and starts talking. And I think as we talked about on this show, one of the most important things that was going to come out of his mouth was potentially being in support of the proposed model local rule from the USGA and the RNA that would ultimately limit distance and how the golf ball is regulated at an elite competitive level. And it would go into effect as proposed in 2026. Uh, Tiger Woods expressed some support for it early in the week. Obviously, Rory McIlroy has come out in recent weeks and said he is supportive of it, and that kind of runs in the face of many of his, if not almost all of his fellow players who have said they don't like the idea and have been quite vocal about it. But you have three of the greatest players ever to live in Jack Tiger and Rory behind it. And then you had Fred Ridley, who was really, frankly, the kingmaker of this decision. Because if he was in support of it, then the other majors, basically the other remaining major that wasn't going to do it, potentially the PGA Championship, would almost have to do it. And now it sounds like Augusta is at least, quote, supportive of the model local rule. They don't want to go out of their way and say, hey, we're all for it. Can't wait to see it. But Ridley did suggest with some careful language that the club and the Masters tournament would support the model local rule, at least as currently proposed, and that they would themselves introduce a lower distance, a restricted distance ball with the 2026 Masters. Whether that means they have a Masters ball or there's just kind of a tournament ball all of the governing bodies agree to, that that's obviously remains to be seen. And I think that's part of the reason why Ridley can't just come out and say, hey, we're all for it, can't wait to do it. But instead, as a former president of the USGA, can tiptoe around it nicely while saying they, they like it, but they don't have all of the details yet. So Ridley was asked about it. And he said he wanted to be respectful of the, the comment period that's available and that he doesn't want to necessarily tip the scales, although obviously he then kind of tips the scales a little bit what he says. and says, quote, we have been consistent in our support of the governing bodies and we restate our decision to see distance addressed, end quote. And then kind of gets asked about it a little bit more and eventually... I mean, he kind of tips the hand, right? He says, quote, the whole purpose of the comment period is to take input from the industry. So we will look at the final product and make a decision. But generally, we have always been supportive of the governing bodies. I've stated that we believe distance needs to be addressed. I think the natural conclusion is, yes, we will be supportive, end quote. And that makes a whole lot of sense, right? The, the, The whole lengthening of the 13th hole by 35 yards was a big red flag to the governing bodies about distance. Well, if you're not going to do something about it, we're going to have to do something drastic, like spend $20 million to lengthen one golf hole used for one week a year in the biggest tournament in the world by 35 yards. And if you didn't do, if you do something about it, maybe we wouldn't have had to do this and maybe they still would have done it anyway, but nevertheless, I think the idea of that that lengthening as soon as it became reality, because they had talked about it for a couple of years, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. And then once they did it, you're like, oh, crap. They really mean business here. 
and they're willing to spend to protect their golf course. But Tiger alluded to it that not everyone has that capability. Not every club can just write a check for $20 million, acquire land for a golf course that might get used much less often than Augusta National does. At least Augusta National gets used for a major every year. But all of the other major championship hosts, with some notable exceptions, don't see tournaments of this caliber except maybe every 5, 10, 15 years. So what would be the, the motivation for them to acquire land for just that purpose, just that one use or just those occasional uses that they don't want to do that. So, I, I mean, I think Augusta is an outlier in that regard, but Ridley has said, look, we, we need to address the distance situation here because we can't just buy property forever and we don't want to buy property forever. Well, at least not for the golf course, maybe for a second golf course, maybe for housing, maybe for parking lots, but they don't want to acquire it to just lengthen the golf course by 35 yards by having to go buy Augusta Country Club property. That's what they're trying to say. And so Ridley was asked if the Masters would consider creating its own tournament ball. And it sounds like he's going to kind of shoot that down. Quote, I don't think that's a practical solution. I'm very familiar with with Hootie Johnson's comments, as you all are, about 20 years ago. Hootie Johnson's the former chairman of the Masters and Augusta National. I think Hootie was trying to make a point that that's something that if we decided we want to do it, we could do it. But I don't think it's a practical solution, end quote. So that leads me to believe there's going to be some kind of major championship ball or some kind of elite ball that all of these organizations can get behind and whether they pay for it or they help fund it or they just tell the specs to all the manufacturers and say, hey, if you want to make it, you can make it, and if not, your guys aren't going to play it, and they're going to direct that directly at Titleist and go, hey, Kushnet, if you guys want to be the number one ball in golf still, you're going to have to make a version of the Pro V1 and the Pro V1X that fits these new elite measuring characteristics, these new conforming traits that they have to have in terms of testing and performance. Or otherwise, someone else might step in and do it. And uh, we talked about that a little bit on the show, that there, I think, is a realistic possibility that a manufacturer could come along, probably a Kushnet, and say, look, we will agree to make the tournament ball, but everyone in the field has to play it. No one else can play another different ball. We'll pay, we'll play, pay a ton of money to do the research. We'll pay a ton of money to be the only ball, but... It can only be ours. And I'm sure some of the manufacturers will go, no, we'll just make our own ball. And then it'll all kind of work itself out. And that's where it starts. But from this, this point forward, I think you have to assume the PGA Tour and the PGA of America are going to get behind this. Because if the PGA of America doesn't, they're the only major that doesn't have support for the rollback ball. Because obviously the USGA and the RNA are going to support their own proposal. And then you have Augusta National. That's three of four. Now, that could be a differentiating thing for the PGA Championship. And maybe that's something worth considering. I don't know. But if then the PGA of America gets behind it, the PGA Tour almost has to for, I think, the reasons Rory McIlroy stated, which is if we want to be seen on the same level as the major championships, then we have to play golf the same way. And that means using a restricted ball. And I think that's about as simple of a set of dominoes as you can set up to fall down. And then all of a sudden we've got agreement on the 2026 model local rule. And 
whether that applies to the LPGA, whether they would agree. I think they would. I think they would just go along with it. Again, for the same, same reasons. All the dominoes fall of, well, if they're doing it, we kind of have to do it, even if we don't like it. And the rollback, as it would probably relate to LPGA players, would be more like 7 to 12 or 8 to 13 yards, not 15 to 20, just because slower swing speeds. But some players, there are plenty now in the LPGA, could hit it 300 consistently, would probably see closer to that 15 rollback. So there are some dominoes still to come, uh, but I feel like this was an important one. And Fred Ridley, frankly, said exactly what I thought he would say. And there you go. Now we're gonna, now the train moves out of the station a little bit more toward that rollback. While we're going to leave that on the side for this week, the rest of this week because the Masters tournament is underway. But that is, uh, I think, big news in terms of administration and support for this rollback proposal. All right, I want to talk to some comments Bryson DeChambeau made, and he said this on Monday. Remember, in I think he said it in 2020. Uh, yeah, it was November, the November 2020 Masters. So Bryson had just won the U.S. Open in September, and big balking guy had you know tried to drive a par five at at Bay Hill the sixth, and he's you know, this guy swinging so hard, and he incredibly confident makes his boneheaded comment and says that he's looking at Augusta National as a par 67. Quote: I'm looking at it as a par 67 for me. Because I can reach all the par fives in two, no problem. If the conditions stay the way they are, that's what I feel par is for me. That's not me being big-headed. I can hit it as far as I want to. End quote. Well, things are a little bit different for Bryson DeChambeau now. First of all, he's not a relevant golfer. I mean, on Live, he is one of the worst players consistently, which is kind of weird, but unfortunate. He's also less bulky. He doesn't. He's kind of figured out maybe a middle ground for his. Uh, I don't know how to say this best, but for his physique, and he still hits the ball and swings hard, but not quite to the same level, I would suspect. And so he still, you know, has plenty of distance, but it's not quite what it was. That doesn't mean he he can't reach every par five and two. I'm pretty sure a lot of players in this field can reach every par five and two. Uh, the distance thing is applied to a lot of people, but his results have not looked particularly good since making those comments. And I think a lot of people, myself included, have stomped on him for saying those things, saying what he did, and then ultimately not performing anywhere near that level, par 67. And so he was asked on Monday if he regretted saying that. Quote, do I regret? Everybody has a perspective on it. I don't think I regret anything. What I do understand is that I have a lot of respect for the course. Because of that statement, people think that I don't have respect for the course. Are you kidding me? This is one of the greatest golf courses in the entire world. And if anybody thinks I don't have respect for the course, they better go check out who I actually am because it's not accurate one bit. Hypothetically, theoretically, look, if you make 18 birdies, it's going to be 54, right? It's a perfect score, right? Unattainable. 67 every day. Unattainable. It can happen. But it is like, is it likely to happen? Probably not. With the distance I'm hitting it and was hitting it, I thought there was a possibility, but that's only with your A game. And I should have rephrased that. If you have your A game, there's a good chance of being able to do that. Long story short, I don't want anybody to take it out of context. Well, I don't think anyone was taking it out of context, to be honest with you. Um, I, I just, I, I don't get the sense of that. But I, I think he was trying to say, 
what I th- here's why I think he was trying to say, which is that yes, if you birdie all the par fives in a given round, which is not a given, right? I mean, eight's not particularly easy. Two can put some whole locations where the, not unreachable, but hard to reach. 13 and 15 are longer now. Uh, 13's even longer than, you know, 2020 when he made that comment. So not exactly easy. But the idea here was that if you take care of business as a long hitter on the par fives, then your job is to play the remaining 14 holes in even par. Maybe find one birdie in there and you've shot your, your par number, right? Maybe that's number three because that's a short hole. And with the way he was driving the ball at the time, he figured he could get to the green and depending on the whole location, chip it a putt, and that's 67. I, I get where he's coming from, and I, I think if you're trying to think of a target score on the golf course, 67 is still incredibly aggressive, but if he was thinking, hey, if I shot 67 four times, I shot 20 under par, won the golf tournament, well, that's the record, right? That's the record for performance at Augusta National, albeit in the softer November 2020 Masters, but it's still that level of performance. That's a record level of performance. So people wanted to go, hey, well, at the time, Dustin hadn't shot 20 under par yet at Augusta National. And they thought, oh, well, 18 under is the mark. So you're saying par for you is the greatest master score ever. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And yes, that's something very easy to make fun of. And frankly, it's because it came out of Bryson's mouth. But I understand where he's coming from. I understand what he's trying to say. Still, hasn't looked really good since. Finished T34 in the November 2020 Masters. He was T46 in 2021. He missed the cut last year. Uh, he was 12 over after two rounds. Played awful golf. And, and things have changed for him, obviously. And I think he has been humbled quite a bit. He's now 155th in the official World Golf Ranking. That's in large part thanks to not having any points anymore. But he's also played pretty poor golf. And I don't know if his world ranking would be dramatic. I mean, might be inside the top 100 would not be dramatically better because of injuries and having to, to slow down and all that stuff. But e- either way, um, I, I think he's been through a lot here and I, I, I'm not here to say you should love Bryson DeChambeau, but I, I think that comment, basically everything after winning the U S open has humbled him. Uh, it, and I don't mean he's a humble guy. I'm, I don't know that about him but has humbled him because he's gone through a lot and has not played well, has not as has been injured, obviously took the money with Liv, probably thinking in the same way Brooks Kepka did of, Hey, as the chance for generational wealth and I'm hurt and not playing well. And that strategy might not have worked out in the long haul. And obviously is going through a lot of public criticism for that, but also has had some personal tumult. His father passed away late last year. Um, uh, and he talked a little bit about that, said, quote, I've never had a traumatic experience like that in my life. And I had a lot of weird stuff happen last year, not just going to a different tour and dad dying. I had other stuff too. It was a huge learning year. I felt like it was just rooting me and humbling me all last year. And then this year, I feel like I'm slowly progressing back again, end quote. So you never know how much of your golf results are physical are mental or emotional. And I think all of those things are very important to your results in golf. So, you know, see, see, see it for what it is, but, uh, I, I, yeah, I, he's not going to say, Oh yeah, I totally regret doing that. That was stupid. He's not, he's not too proud of the guy to say that, but it, I think he's kind of more or less saying, trying to shoulder it away by saying, Oh, it was out of context. You know, you need to understand the context in which I said it. And if you do take it in context, 
it's not the worst thing that's ever been said about Augusta National. So uh, I, I thought it was interesting that he addressed those comments and didn't just kind of brush them off, but use this as an opportunity also to kind of talk about what's going on in his life and what has changed in the last year. And, and a lot has changed dramatically for him. All right. Last story I want to get to today, and it is a great story. It is from the Washington Post. So if you find somebody who can give you one of those like gift links that they do because you have to have a subscription, I think you can register and get like a two or three articles for free or something. But I saw this last night on the Twitter machine as I was getting ready to uh, go to bed, I think. And I was reading it, and it just is a really fascinating story. It's by a guy named Kent Babb. I don't know Kent. Never really read his work, and, and this is a really good story. It, it's a long profile of Harold Varner III. Really, everything that went into his decision-making about his professional career, joining Liv, how he feels about it all. It, it's great writing. It, it's really well done. And there's a, a callback from the early portion of the story that comes back later that is really a, just a brilliant touch in a piece of writing that is, is well done and worth your time if you can get your hands on it and view it today or over the next couple of days. But I'll, I'll summarize the gist of it without doing it too much justice, unfortunately, because it's, it's just, it is that good. But what I would say is Harold Varner III is not and has not been coy about why he joined Live Golf. He joined Live Golf because it would give him generational wealth that he could then provide to future generations of his family, for his wife, for his kids, all of those things. That's what that's exactly and only what he was thinking about taking that money. That he he knew he had a limited time frame on the PGA tour, in part because of an injury that gets called back throughout the, the piece. He knows he has a limited time frame because what he accomplished that allowed him to get signed by Live Golf, get an, a big offer from Live Golf, might have been temporary. And so his mission has been to acquire wealth that allows him to then do the things he ultimately wants to do. And that that's kind of the big takeaway from it. How he explains it all, how it all comes together, it, it's really well constructed, and there's a lot of illuminating things in it. But I think that the big thing for the takeaway, if you are into the, the whole live golf discussion piece of this, is that he is not out there to make friends on live. He has said he doesn't have many friends on live. And, and I wonder if that has anything to do with, because he's kind of been upfront about all of the realities of why he went to live and isn't trying to sugarcoat it or say it's about growing the game, which, I mean, Varner straight up calls it BS, which it is. And he knows these guys are being delusional to themselves if they believe that. But he also has not gone out of his way to kind of get on on board, I think, with the culture of live of, hey, we're all in this together kind of thing. I, I think he realizes he's doing this so that he can make the money he needs. And then if he can continue to play golf after that, he will. And if not, he has enough money that can transform generations of his family for years and years and years to come. And that's why he did it. And goes into purchasing, wants, wants to purchase a golf course, building his own driving range and practice facility at his home where he's bought a home for his parents to come and live. Uh, some interesting struggles around that. His relationship with Michael Jordan, not too, too much about it, but enough. But one thing I thought was really interesting that Varner cited about Michael Jordan 
is that Jordan won't give you his real opinion necessarily. That he keeps that to himself. And I I thought that was interesting in the context of the the brashness, the the bold statements that he made, the amount of cussing, frankly. Uh, I don't care about that, but the, the 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 level of expletive that he applied to some of the just frankly corny BS stuff about Liv. But is that what he really believes if he cites Jordan saying he doesn't you know he likes to be like Jordan, doesn't cite his real opinion. But sounds like Varner's plan is to use the money that he ultimately gets from golf, and now he's got a ton more of it, obviously, and wants to use that for two things. One, his foundation, which he did talk about when he said he was leaving for Liv, that he hoped that the money from Liv would give him an opportunity to change lives through golf tournaments and helping people who are coming up through the system that might not have access otherwise, might be underrepresented historically, and all of that is very admirable, I think. And two, to be able to use that money to be able to develop businesses, to be able to turn that into more money, to to take what he has earned and figured out from the golf world and turn it into something even bigger than that, and that he's comfortable trying to do that. I, I'm very interested in uh, very interested in in this story because he he and I think Pat Perez are the two people who have been most publicly forthright about how transformative the live money has been for them. Not saying it's good, but they have been candid about that and they have not sugarcoated it. That they needed the money, they wanted the money, they took the money, they don't care about what you think, they don't care about the Saudis, they don't care about Greg Norman, they just want the money, they took the money. It's really worth your time to read the story today. Again, you're going to have some downtime if you're watching the Masters in between shots and stuff like that. It's worth your time. I don't want to get too much more into it because you should check it out if you can. Uh, great job to Kent. Uh, it was, again, a fa- fantastic story. Worth reading today. All right, that's going to do it for us today on 2 Up the First. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you watch us sometimes, thanks for listening today. If you're catching us on a pl- podcast platform where you can do this, leave us a five-star review, leave a comment. helps us reach more people. Subscribe to the show. helps as well. We're going to try and do a couple more shows over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. But the big takeaway from today is get in the top 10 of the Masters leaderboard. If you are not in the top 10, you're probably not winning this golf tournament, historically speaking. Almost certainly you are not winning this golf tournament. So that's the battle for today. And we will see what happens with the rain on Friday and Saturday. It is looking pretty bleak, especially Saturday. Friday too, to be honest. But especially Saturday. And that could mean we're looking at a, a total scramble on Sunday. Could mean a Monday finish. So might have a little bit longer Masters week than we were anticipating, but eventually it'll all come together and it'll be dramatic and fantastic. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you next time on two of the first. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.